Amen. Take your, take your Bible and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Last, uh, last time I, I asked you to prayerfully consider, if you remember, a week ago. How many of you remember a week ago? <laughs> uh, and we asked you to consider uh, in denying yourself, you know, is there something in your life that uh, the Lord is asking you to put away? And I ask you to pray about that, and I hope that you've done that. And if you're not, and you said, I'll do that, that uh, you'll write that down, write down. If, if I don't write it down in my life, it doesn't happen. Faith will say, do this and do that, or how about this, or how about that. And if I don't write it down, I put my brains on the paper, and if it, it's not there and it's not right in front of me, I'm in trouble. And that's one of the reasons why we make those handouts available, so it helps Stay between the ears and in the heart a little bit longer. Maybe you can use it to teach someone else, somewhere else, these things, and to use for the kingdom and glory of God. So, so how about that? Uh, pray about that. Uh, Lord, put some things out of my life. The weight that easily besets me, Hebrews 13, Hebrews 12, remember, run with patience. And so let's do that. I've entitled the message today, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. In Luke's Gospel 9, verse 28 through 36, a glimpse of the glory of Christ. I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I'm not a big movie nut, but there are a few movies that I do enjoy, uh, and one of my most favorite is uh, entitled The Family Man. I don't know if you ever saw it, but uh, I've seen it a couple of times, and, and I'm not given to a lot of tears, but I well up a, a little bit with this, and uh, this this story I really love because my family means so very, very much to me. I know a family can be an idol. It's not an idol. But God has uh, given us families that we might nurture and love and send forth to the next generation. And uh, what, what an amazing blessing for sure. And uh, I love this movie because here's a wealthy Wall Street type who uh, is by himself and uh, he gets, uh, through an angel, uh, a glimpse, and there's the key word, a glimpse of what his life might have been. You see, he had dated a woman seriously and had considered marrying her uh, quite a number of years earlier. And uh, he got all caught up in his internship and went to Europe and whatever and uh, bypassed marrying her. And so uh, in his instant, uh, his glimpse... He gets a glimpse of what his life might have been uh, if he had married her and the, uh, and, and the little children and, and all of that. It wasn't the highfalutin uh, Wall Street lifestyle, but it uh, was a suburban uh, house with a family and children. And when he gets a glimpse of it, he's overwhelmed by it. And he doesn't want to go back to his former lifestyle, uh, all because of the family, in that glimpse he realized uh, that he would have had. And uh, it's just a glimpse. Isn't that a great word, a glimpse? That's why I love it so much, because my family means everything to me under the Lord Jesus. Well, uh, one, of the, one of the most wonderful yet mysterious events you have to say that in the life of the Lord Jesus is the one we're going to study today. Uh, it occurs, uh, this episode, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, although John refers to it. 
uh, in his writing in chapter 1 and then uh, a little bit later in 1 John, he writes of this occasion. This, this is a great mystery and wonder. Uh, in reading some of the older writers, they go like most expositors would like to just kind of, in a quiet way, walk by this passage because it's so filled with wonder and awe. It's sort of like the burning bush, you know. It's just like take off your shoes, kind of one of those passages. You know, what can I say about it that would even do credence to the glory that is in a glimpse uh, shown forth in the Word of God at this point in time? Of course, it's called uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, most uh, folks know it that way, where a glimpse of the glory of Jesus for just a, a little bit of time is seen by three of the, the inner circle, the the disciples that Jesus was training for future leadership. And uh, it's filled with glory. Glory. And then the, uh, the glory cloud of the Father and the voice. Schaefer's right. Uh, God is there and he's not silent. Oh, to hear the voice of God. It takes you right back to Sinai when God thundered forth and the cloud and the people were terrified. You know, who do you think gave you the ability of language? You think you stumbled out of that like a tadpole out of a pool? I don't think so. Start speaking to each other, the multi-dialects and languages around. God speaks, giving you the ability to hear. Isn't it interesting how you have two ears and they're funneled forward? God hears and God speaks. God speaks on this occasion. That is God the Father. And that must have been a tremendous encouragement to the disciples and even to the Lord Jesus. Jesus just revealed, we saw that, of the coming program of the ages. Now that they knew who he was, he began right away to talk about his mission. You got it right. I am the Christ, the anointed one. Now let me tell you where we go from here. There's no recess. It goes right into the next chapter, remember? I'm going to die. They're going to put me to death. And uh, remember, in the humiliation of the Lord Jesus, totally dependent on the Spirit of God, carrying out the plan of God step by step, day by day. And just like at his baptism, the Father speaks as he begins his three-year public ministry. This is my beloved son. He says the same thing through the cloud. This is my son, my, my chosen one. Listen to him. We'll see that in the passage. And so I'm sure that was a great encouragement to, even to the Lord Jesus Christ and the humility of his flesh to hear the endorsement of his Father's words. Wow, there's so much here. There's so much here, it's hard for me to... We could, we could spend a long time here teaching this passage. But what I've decided to do is something that, that uh, I have to uh, ask forgiveness of all my homiletical students in days gone by. I forbade them ever to preach seven points. Three at the most, two is better, is what I would teach. But uh, if you'll allow me, and don't tell them, we're going to move over seven, and we're going to do it quickly, because uh, they're so amazing here. We're going we're gonna to go along and allow you to study this even for, but there are at least seven wonderful insights as we scan and hear and eavesdrop and watch on this uh, incredible occasion, this mystery and wonder the life of the Lord Jesus, like nothing else, uh, just a glimpse of uh, who he is. 
So let's, uh, let's read it in the account, and then we'll, we'll look at it. Uh, chapter 9 of Luke, the doctor's gospel, verse 28, and we'll read it until verse 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Well, there's uh, the doctor's uh, account of the Mount of Transfiguration and let me suggest that there are seven insights uh, for living, for you and for me, as we gaze upon the events surrounding the unveiling of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ on this occasion. For this glimpse of his glory holds great promise for all of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I mean, there is, there is a bucket full of gold here. A crazy day of gold. Every other commercial, have you noticed on TV, buy gold? Buy. This is the real stuff. It's a bucketful. And this stuff will bless your heart more than silver and gold that will perish. Well, the first insight is uh, found in verse 28 and 29a. Jesus' prayer life provides a powerful example for us. Now, the reason they went up on this, this mountain was to pray. Now, which mountain is it? Some of you have been in Israel. We've gone there a number of years ago. But the setting of this exceptional event was, I would suggest to you, on Mount Hermon, though we're not told exactly. Mount Hermon is way to the north. It's high. It's snow-covered year-round. Did you know that? In Israel, there's a snow-covered cap year-round. They actually ski on it. It's, uh, it's the source of the Jordan River. I've gone into a cave where water coming right through the rock uh, began the Jordan River right there. Uh, if you go there, there, uh, the, you know they have all these traditional sites. They'll probably show you Mount Tabor, uh, which is down near uh, closer to the central part in Galilee, and they'll say this is the Mount of of uh, Transfiguration. But I don't think it was so because uh, it was uh, there was a Roman fortress on the top of it at that time. Uh, they were up in Caesarea Philippi on an R&R, rest and relaxation. And Caesarea Philippi is in the vicinity of Mount Hermon, way up in the north. 
Tabor, did you know, you know what the Hebrew word Tabor means anyway, this extra? It means navel. It's in Hebrew. So if you say Tabor, you know a word, Hebrew word, navel. And if you look on a map, it's sort of in the, in the middle there, and kind of like a navel. That's why it's called that. Uh, but uh, don't believe it was there. Uh, so the reason, and here's the point, the reason Jesus went up to this mountain with the three was to pray. It's a whole sermon right there. It could be a multi-lesson in, in sermons, really, to pray with this inner circle. Wow. Amazing. Now, it's characteristic of Dr. Luke's gospel account that whenever the Lord Jesus is moving into some new uh, episode or chapter in his ministry, Dr. Luke is very common to say, and then Jesus was found praying, and then he moves into it. Remember, let me give you a couple. Uh, I think, do I have it on? Yeah, 321, there's the Lord Jesus at his baptism. Standing in the Jordan, he's praying. Praying. And then uh, you can write down, I don't have on your sheet, but in, in his gospel 612, we find him praying all night before he chooses the uh, 12 disciples. He's praying. And then uh, write down another, in 11.1, Jesus is praying. And I think it's instructive in 11.1, because as he's praying, after he's done, the disciples come to him, sensing such a lack and need in their own life, in this thing called prayer, they ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Even as John taught his disciples, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Isn't it interesting, the greatest teacher ever, the greatest preacher ever, they didn't say, hey, come and teach us how to dazzle people with our homiletics. Teach us how to teach. No, that, teach us how to pray, Lord. Now, I think that's powerful to me. And here, here's the Lord Jesus praying, and Luke makes note of that. It's a powerful picture, you have to say, of the importance of prayer. And they're going to go, they're going to climb up this mountain. They didn't have a highway, no helicopters, none of that. They walked up, you know, the old-fashioned way, right? Walked up that they might pray. And Luke wants us to know that. We, too, you see, are to pray without ceasing. We are to be in an attitude of prayer. We're to have prayer, and we're to know what that is. We're not to worry. We tend to worry. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 7, 8. But in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the result of that is a peace. Like an army soldier will guard your hearts and minds a sentry. And don't we need that? We're prone to fear. Why? Why should we? Because we're puny, small, and frail. You're not very much. You say, well, you make me feel bad, Pastor Tony. No, it's true. None of us are. Going, going, and almost gone. That's Psalm 90. That's our life. Have you, have you figured that out? Pretty frail. Better lay down and sleep every day. Pretty small. A lot overwhelms us. And we're given to, to fear. We, we write well. We're small. But God is greater than all that. God says what? Pray. Fret not thyself. Pray. Pray. Jesus prayed. And we ought to pray. And he's going to take uh, his three would-be leaders with him to pray. Listen, it's so important. And the, and the first insight, Jesus' prayer life provides a powerful example for us to pray. How much more necessary is it for us to pray if Jesus pray? Oftentimes, we don't pray, do we? We rush into major decisions and small ones. 
We rush in with, uh, oh, 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 we didn't even pray, you know? Uh, and we shouldn't do that. I'm not going to shame you, but I'm just going to give you, I pray, a hunger to commune with the Lord. You know, that's what it is. It's not the gimme list. No, we can bring every, every, our burdens and our requests. We lay them at Jesus' feet. We always pray, nevertheless, your will be done, Lord, you're in charge. But he invites us to come and to fellowship and to pray for others and to commune with him. And we ought to do that. And there's nothing like praying to bring people together. One of the great things of our elders meeting is that we get on our knees and we pray for the needs of the church. And it knits our hearts together. Oh, how important that is. Satan would love to divide and ruin us. He does that in families and marriages. You, you need to pray. You need to pray together. You need to pray for your enemies. You know, that's the only way you learn to love them. I don't know. I can't explain how it happens, but it's happened in my life. There are people that hurt me and have hurt my family. But uh, God expunges that bitterness, that retaliatory spirit that's in you. You know, like somebody does something to your family, I'll see you and raise you. Boom, you know? That's, that's nothing extraordinary about that. That's just the flesh in all of us. It's, it's only the Lord that allows us to respond with love and grace. You know, if our enemy has needs to try and meet that, it's only the Lord that does. How does he do that? does that through prayer. changes your heart. Tell it to Jesus, we sing. Tell it to Jesus. That's right. And what a great thing. And men, you need to lead your, your families. How many marriages would be saved if men would lead in prayer? I don't know if we're too proudful, men, or too busy. If You say, I'm too busy to pray. But the point is, you're too busy. Then you better strip some things out. You learn to get alone, develop. A lot of the, the Christian life is developing the disciplines of a godly man or godly woman. And if you don't begin to do that today, make this, I'm good, boy, I'm really lacking here. I've got to start. I've got to peel up, turn the TV off, open my Bible, get on my knees, and pray. Do that. God will change you. You'll love the Lord more and more. I promise you. I do. And pray. Every day. Communing with the Lord. If the Lord did that, Almighty God veiled human flesh even in his humility. To, and he didn't have to confess sin, right? He communed with the Father. There's something wonderful about communing with the Lord as we pray. That's really what it is, fellowship. Listen, God made us for him. And we fellowship with him in our prayer. Jesus illustrates that. And so should we. And so when should we pray specifically? Decisions on schooling, exams, where to study, what to study, you know, we ought to lay that before the Lord, not the quickie. Now, the quickies are de dependent upon the longer times of prayer before. You know, <laughs> when Peter was sinking in the lake, he didn't have time for a long benediction. You know, help. <laughs> right? And so we need to pray about it. We need to pray about uh, not just you could put down work, you know, we keep praying, praying for those of you that need work and are underemployed and others and what kind of work to do and pray for the issues at work and, and God's blessing and prosperity at work. God made us to work. How about ministry? How should I serve the Lord here as the church gathered? And how should I, as the church scattered, in this whole ministry of discipleship? What about marriage? 
I wouldn't think of going a single day without praying for faith. She needs grace to live with me. Yeah, some of you know better than others. And I pray, Lord, help her. <laughs> and pray for my, cover your loved ones with prayer. And whatever's going on in their life, every single day. You see, it's important. I mean, it's important stuff. And so you need to give yourself to the discipline of that. Parenthood, oh man, isn't that fun? On-the-job training, help, Lord, how do I do it? I don't know what to do. I was befuddled, Lord, help us here. You don't know. You get counsel, Lord, help. How about moving? Some people move with little thought. Retirement, should I retire, should I not? What should I do in retirement? Lord, what about those things? Well, Jesus' life, we're going to go up on the mountain, and this mountain of trans... To pray is superb. Well, that's the first lesson, to pray. The second insight we see uh, for, for us as we gaze upon this, verses 29 through 31, as Jesus' transfiguration reveals that he is much more than a mere man. Much, much more. He's God the Son veiled in human flesh. In 29b, as he's metamorphized, that's the Greek word, Metamorphize, change. The, the inward comes out. It's like a little caterpillar. You know, when you're in elementary school and the teacher's going to put it, a little caterpillar on a stick in a little canning jar, right? And after a little bit, a beautiful monarch butterfly. I said, wow, where'd that come from? It was metamorphized. Metamor, we learned that 50 cent word when we're in what, fourth grade? <laughs> That's the word right here, an essential change. Jesus was transfigured, metamorphized. The, from what was innately there came from within and shown on the outside, revealing that Jesus was much more than, a, than simply a man. It was the first time that the three were witnessing the majesty of God's Son, Veiled in human flesh. That's the way we sing that, right? Veiled in humanity. Now, Paul writes of that in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, take your, just turn to Philippians 2. You should know this passage well. It's commonly called the kenosis or the emptying uh, of Jesus in coming and being born of the Virgin Mary. And uh, uh, it, uh, it's, it shouts to us to wonder. Uh, of his essence. Philippians chapter 2, it's called the kenosis because that's the transliterated word of the Greek. It's ekinesin, that he emptied himself as the King James. But look at Philippians 2, and he throws it down as an illustration of this oneness of mind that God's people need to have one with the other in humility and all that. And then he says as an illustration, verse 5, Philippians 2, 5, have the same mind, phone, the same mind among yourselves, which uh, that was in Christ Jesus. What's that? Who, though he was in the form of God, that's before the incarnation, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. In other words, prior to his coming, he didn't hold on to it. Don't send me, Father. I don't want to be born of the Virgin Mary. I didn't, I didn't want to be, have human flesh. He didn't hold on to it like a child clutching a toy, not wanting to share it. But, verse 7, made himself nothing. There it is. 
kenosis, echinesa, nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in, look at these words, born in the likeness of men. My Sarah's going to have a baby next month. We don't know if it's going to be a boy or girl. But when the baby comes, they're not going to say, well, we got it. If it's a boy, he's in the likeness of men. Like, wait, what is wrong with you? Why would you say something? <laughs> it's a little boy. Maybe it'll be a little girl. They don't know yet. They're doing it the old-fashioned way. You know, what they get is what they get, you know. Which makes my, for a strange reason, my mother very happy. Oh, that's the way it should be. She preaches that, you know. Whereas Dave and Mandy already know they've got little girl Britain coming. I didn't tell my mother that, so I don't, I don't think I did. Anyway, but in the born in the likeness, born in the likeness of men, being found in uh, in human form, you don't speak that way of normal human life. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Wow. And they were going to see for the very first time the majesty. I mean, they were beginning to get a grip on who is this one, their teacher. Wow, there's more than meets the eye here. He's the Lord of glory. And, and, and it came, it, they, they, uh, they were awakened out of their sleep. You know, I, I had to laugh at R.C. Sproul. He writes, sleeping was about the only good thing that the disciples were able to do. And always in the context of a prayer meeting. They doze off. Couldn't you stay awake one hour while they're in the garden? Here they are sleeping again, you know. I mean, some of the writers say, well, it must have been at night. Well, they're being kind. We don't know that, really. <laughs> and, uh, and it seems like, and, I, and one writer suggests they missed most of the conversation, but they sort of, you know, came to with this brilliant light and they saw, metamorphosed right in front of the glory, the radiance, the dazzling white light that emanated from within Jesus and shone outward. This brilliant light was brighter than the sun. Even his clothes glowed brightly. Uh, in, in Mark's account of it, chapter 9, verse 3, I don't know if you ever noticed this, Jen, maybe you can show that, that Mark 9 passage, the parallel, um, up here, because uh, he, makes a, he makes a comment, in, uh, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who would not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And now, eight days later, He's going to fulfill that there in the Mount of Transfiguration. Show us verse after six days, and look, look at verse three. And his clothes, verse three, became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Did you know the word bleach? It finds itself in at least the ESV. I mean, that's whiter than white. Some of you ladies, you know, the stains, and boys are real good at getting saying, I gotta get that stain out of you, bleach the daylights out of it, make it white. And and he's trying to, he's trying, he's he's grasping, trying to explain the glory of the brilliancy of even the clothes of Jesus as uh, he was metamorphosed before them. Well, they saw, these three men saw before death what all believers uh, see after death. Isn't that amazing? Dazzling white in all his glory, his radiance, which was his from eternity past, veiled in hum, hum, humiliation, dazzling. Wow, glory, beautiful. You know, I, I always enjoy 
uh, doing weddings. And uh, I have the best seat in the house, so I don't sit. <coughs> but uh, just uh, to see the bride, he's always ner- or the groom's always a little bit nervous, and that's good. I like that. I like to see that. And, uh, and all the men with him, and typically they're up there with me, and here comes the bridal party. And then finally, uh, the bride, if her dad's living and there and all that, going to give her away. And she turns the corner, and I get to stay and watch, and she turns in, and all of her radiant beauty, the bride, I mean, that's her day. I mean, guys, we're like an old walking stick that day. It's not our day. It's the bride's day, and all her glory and radiance, and, and her face oftentimes is glowing, and he is just overwhelmed. And she's looking at her man. She wants to see his eyes, if he approves and is excited. And I, can, I mean, I'm up here, I'm feeling all these waves and all this emotion, and it's, it, it, it's so wonderful. It just kind of raptures me away, and I've had the joy of doing hundreds and hundreds of weddings, and it's a joy. All her radiance, all her beauty. And we do that right. I think we really do that right with our weddings. It's a beautiful picture when Eve brought uh, his bride, uh, or, or, or brought uh, to Adam his, his bride after making He's yelling, Yahoo! <laughs> bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, all her glory. This was a display, just a glimpse of something far more beautiful, of the dazzling glory of the Lord Jesus. And you know, they never got over it. Two of the guys that were there, Peter and John, wrote of it years later. Never got over it. John and John, uh, his gospel, chapter 1, and we beheld his glory. Man. And Peter, Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He writes of it years later. The wonder of being there and seeing the glory of Jesus. Wow. You know, when, when you shut your eyes, if you know Christ, you'll open your eyes instantly and see the glory of our Savior. Emanating, not in humility, not weak. He's King Jesus in all his brilliance and all his glory. Wow, radiating. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And they were to discover that that day. There's much more that meets the eye in looking at Jesus. Wow, Mm. can't wait. Beautiful. A third insight for living as we gaze upon the events surrounding this. Jesus' appearance with Moses and Elijah teaches it us, that there is much more to reality than meets the eye. This is one you want to get your arm, your, try and get your head around this. I mean, there's much more to what is. The, some of you have studied Greek philosophy and the phusis, what is. There's much more than the physical dimension of life that we usually think about. Our world is not the only one that is. There is another in this thing called reality or spiritual reality. It's glorious. And uh, in verse 30, uh, let me reread that verse. And behold, uh, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. 
The spiritual world is, uh, is not far. Sometimes we're fond of thinking, well, it's up there somewhere over the blue. You know, beyond the sunset, we sing. That song is written in Winona Lake. It's somewhere out there, somewhere else. We don't know. You know that's not true? It's right here and it's right now. It is. In him we live and move and have our being. The omnipresence and the ubiquitousness of the Lord Jesus. It's right here. It's right now. It's another dimension. There was once a man in a previous church that God had used in the preaching of the word to see him come to Christ. You know, he was, he was the only astrophysicist I ever knew in all of that uh, training that came uh, to a profession of faith in Jesus. A brilliant man. And uh, I had a, a great time with him at lunch one day, and he talked about the realms of reality and the dimensions. And it kind of blew my mind as he talked about black holes and all kinds of things that I don't know too much about, almost nothing. And he talked about... Uh, the dimension of time, the dimension of space, the dimension of, he's going, he goes, like, and I don't, I don't remember exactly, but he was talking like 14 dimensions and uh, of things that can be showed mathematically in reality of the what is. And it's not just the here and the now and the little bit that we see, although we're locked into space and time. And now Moses and Elijah show up and we go like, what are they doing here? Here they are. And they're glorious. They're radiating light as well. You go like, how can that be? You know, how? And I'm saying to you that the here and now is not all that there is. There are concurrent realities. And uh, even eternity. Some talk about eternity. And the Lord is the great I am, the great Amy. The past and the present and the future are all the same in God. And how does it work? I don't know. I can't hardly figure out calculus, let alone how that could be, you know. But it's true. They're all the same to God. And it kind of blows our mind when we think about that. And, and we see that evidence by the very fact that uh, these two men are here. The, the, the spiritual world is not far off. It's a concurrent world. It's another dimension. It's not far removed. It's amazing. Now, in 2 Kings, I've got to just show you an example of this. I love this. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you, you, you'll, you, this, this ought to shout to you. Did we, did we able to get that, John? 2 Kings 6. This is, uh, I'll give you the context. Uh, this is the day of Elisha, the prophet. And the king of Syria is uh, coming down, knocking on Israel's door. And uh, the... Uh, God would speak to Elisha. Elisha would tell the king of Israel, and uh, uh, the king of Syria couldn't find him. Well, that irritated, really irritated the powerful king of Syria. He wanted to, uh, wanted to, to do business with uh, Israel's king, and, and he found out that uh, even the things you say in your bedroom, O king of Syria, Elisha knows them and tells the king of Israel. Well, that was almost too much for that prideful king. Let's Let's kill Elisha. Let's find him and kill him. Well, one day they came to the town he was in, and uh, the whole army showed up. And here's Elisha, the prophet, with his servant. 
And that's the context here. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that he tell him, don't go this way, don't go that way, because the Syrians are going down there. Let's read it. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? It's like someone snitching here. And one of his servants said, no, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I might send and seize him. And I was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, I got the scene, early morning, it's uh, misty, and uh, Elisha, he's the man of God, his servant goes outside, and uh, behold, guess what? He sees the Syrian army in all their power, uh, all around the city. Oh my, we're in deep trouble now. And he says, alas, my master, what in the world should we do? We're in trouble. We are in trouble. Is that all we did? Verse 15. Okay, and, and Elisha said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, wait a minute. I love this. And the servant looks at it. It's like math class, right? The army's out there surrounded in all their power and might. They're more with us, Elisha says to his servant, than them. And he goes like, oh, wait a minute now. One, two. Let me do this again. I wasn't real sharp in math. One, two. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Let's look at and, and, and then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, that's his servant, and he saw and he beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There were angels and the powers of the heaven and the spiritual world that are present. And he pulls back the curtain, as it were, and he shows the dimension of the spiritual world that is concurrent and present, even right now as we speak. And that ought to encourage you. We are never alone. We are never alone. And the ministry of angels, uh, they're given to God's elect to care for us and protect. Think of Psalm 91. And here they, here, here they see, see that. Wow, that's a good Remember that text. That ought to encourage you. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I think it was mere Christianity, the longer I live, the more I realize the spiritual world is the reality, and the physical world is the illusion. Just the reverse. I know that we're given the time, space, and material things, and so on, but I, I agree with him. I think he's right. I think he's right. Now, it's like this. And one other uh, illustration to show you what I mean. Uh, for years and years and years, you know, like we love our radio. When I was a kid, I got a little plastic AM radio. You know, I sold Christmas cards to people in August and saved up enough, bought my little radio and plugged it in and all that. And uh, the amazing thing is, and not too many years ago, they did, you know, there are waves that go through the room all the time. And uh, the radio waves, we tune into those. And there are all kinds of waves. And some of you have studied it more than other. The whole spectrum of waves... Color, Roy G. Biv, some of you remember that? You learned the colors. 
And then there are x-rays and microwaves. If there weren't microwaves, our phones wouldn't work. Did you know that? All these waves going right through here right now. And you and I can't see them, but they're really here. And it's a, it's a good way. We see a very narrow part of the whole wavelength. And yet it's all here. And I think that helps me think about the spirit world. That's concurrent. It's here. And he pulls back the veil and, and all of a sudden, whoa, look at this. Look at 2 Kings. Wow. Wow, that blows my mind. It's a way I'd never thought of. And that's the text here. That really is. And so it ought to encourage us. Number four, quickly. The presence of Moses and Elijah provide hope for all believers. And their standing is Moses and Elijah. Listen, death does not end all. Death does not end all. It doesn't. Moses died, remember? God buried him in Mount Nebo. We don't even know where he was. Jude says something strange about it. You know, the contending over the body. What in the world does all that mean? We don't know. And uh, God said, you're, look, because you're disobedient, you're not going to lead them in. Someone else will lead them into the promised land. Here's the question. Did Moses ever make it into the promised land? The answer? Yes. When, Mark? That right here. He made it in. Now, he's been gone 1,400 years. And there he, he was looking pretty good at this day. He wasn't an old, decrepit, 120-year-old Got to help this old guy up the mountain so he dies, right? No? Looking pretty good. I'm telling you, this shouts hope for every one of us. That when you shut your eyes in death, if you know Jesus, you're going to look better, smell better. Look, some of you look pretty good today. You ain't seen nothing yet. And here's Moses standing there. And not just Moses. And it's not happenstance. All right, I need two volunteers to show up on this mount there to meet the Lord at... No, it's not, no. There's a reason why it was Moses, and there's a reason why it's Elijah. Elijah's there. Now, Elijah's, he's, he left earth 700, 600, 700 years prior. Now, Elijah, did he die? He never died. Never died. God took him up to heaven. And uh, you got Moses and Elijah, both of them, uh, fellowshipping with each other and fellowshipping with the Lord gives an, an inkling of the saints of glory in our communing with each other. Sometimes I'll say that. We're going to have to stand in a long line to talk to the Apostle Paul. How long have you been saying? It's like going to the vet. Uh, the, no, not the old vet. Sorry, guys. The Phillies. That, what do they call that now? What is it? Uh, yeah, Citizens Bank. You've got to stand in line and see if you get a no-show ticket or something. Uh, no, you, you, we'll have to stand a long line to meet. Some, but we're going to fellowship with the saints through all the generations here. Here, hundreds of years separated. Moses and Elijah. They're fellowshipping, talking, sharing with the Lord. We're going to fellowship with God. We fellowship with Him now in prayer, and it shouts to us the wonder of it. It's glorious. Wow that all people will continue at the point of death in either heaven or hell, but the Christian absent from the bodies will be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8, immediately. Moses died hundreds of years earlier. He's alive talking to the Lord. Elijah was raptured to heaven. He went without dying. He too is talking with the Lord and communing with each other. Now, these two men, why these two men? They represent all of the Old Testament. 
You know, it's common for the Jews to refer to the Old Testament canon as, uh, as the law and the prophets. And there's no greater prophet uh, than Elijah. He was the great prophet. God even took him home. There's one other who went without dying. What was his name? You remember? Enoch. He pleased God and walked with God. God took him. Genesis 5. Only two. So you got Moses. He represents the law. Pentateuch, the five first books, uh, and then the law and the prophets is the way they refer to it. And uh, Moses might represent, some would suggest, uh, the saints of God who have died and are glorified. And Elijah, more than simply being a prophet, would represent uh, those that will go without dying when the Lord comes and will be glorified and we could go on and on with some other things that it may be why these two. And it's almost as if the, uh, in Moses and Elijah, we might say the whole Old Testament is standing on their tippy toes looking unto Jesus who is going to be the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament in his death. It's like the whole Old Testament, like on the road to a mess, it, it, it speaks of Jesus. And they're talking to the Lord Jesus about that. It's glorious to me, I tell you. It, it provides a living hope for every one of us. Hope. And it's not the weak word uh, that it is in the English, in the Greek word. It's, the, it's a confidence uh, that is beyond moving. A confidence that we have in the Lord. Moses and Elijah. Wouldn't you like to listen to that? And they, uh, they enjoyed that time for the disciples, if, if uh, my understanding is right, missed most of that discussion. And they were roused out of their sleep a good way through it, but then they woke up. Uh, Matthew 5, 7, remember uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, don't think that I came to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's referring to the Old Testament. And so everything, everything, everything was coming into completion in, in the Lord Jesus. That's what all that means. And so they radiated like light. They appeared in glory, your text says, and that's our future. You're going to be shine. When we see him, we shall be as he, for we shall see him as he. It doesn't mean that we're going to be God, but uh, we're going to be without sin, fully sanctified, glorified, and I think there's going to be a radiance. I think Adam and Eve were made with an initial emanation of glory. I think that was part of, that was lost, uh, and a part of the reason why they covered up their bodies after they fell in sin, sensing the loss uh, of that, the brilliancy of that, the more brighter than the sun. When I was a kid, there was a total eclipse, and my brothers, and I remember my mother was kind of terrified of it. It was coming in the afternoon. And she didn't want any of her babies, and a little child, I don't know, I was six or seven. You're going to get in the house, and we're going to shut the curtains, and don't you dare promise me. She made us, my brother, and I swear we wouldn't try and look at the sun. If you look at the sun, it's going to burn your retina. It's so bright, and the moon there, you're going to be in trouble. And, uh, and boy, that really made me want to see it. <laughs> It's like the law. When the law came, I became a sinner. Before, I was just a happy sinner. But when the law came, I'd like, oh, you know, or the, you can't do it, you know. Oh, man, I want to do it, you know. You can't do it. That's that sin bent within us. Well, 
you're going to look more radiant than that sun from that eclipse, I promise you. Number five, Jesus' discussion with them centered on the most important subject in heaven and on earth. For this was the most important event in human history and in all the universe. This subject here. It wasn't mathematics, it wasn't geometry, it wasn't a foreign language, it wasn't history, it wasn't any of that. It was about the coming crucifixion of the Lord of glory, the plan of the ages, the brilliant plan of God. It was the most important event in all of history. It was not the, uh, the 1969 moonshot. What a great day that was. You know, that was actually on a Sunday. I remember watching that in my living room when Neil Armstrong jumped off the ladder, landed on the moon. He and Buzz, and, and uh, that's not the cartoon character my granddaughter likes, Buzz, but uh, actually walked on the moon. That wasn't, that wasn't uh, July the uh, 4th, 1776. What a great day. That wasn't the greatest event in all history. It wasn't. It wasn't Washington crossing the Delaware. It wasn't the four consecutive Super Bowls that the Bills were in in the 90s. And somebody's saying, like, that's a red letter. That's a... Some of you guys from Pittsburgh, hold yourself down. <laughs> Pride goes before a fall, you know. This is the greatest. This was the greatest. What could they be talking about that would occupy them at such an occasion of that? It accentuates that. It was his coming death, the plan of the ages. Wow, the greatest single event. Never did the Holiness and the love of God so intersect as at Calvary. Wonderful. Man. Glorious. And the three here talk about Jesus' departure. Luke, uh, Dr. Luke uses the word exodus. That's actually the word in the text. They're talking about the word there in the ESV, departures, exodus, his coming death. The exodus would provide the great deliverance from sin for God's people. You know, the exodus of Moses, and interesting, he was the one that led them out of Egypt and delivered the children of Israel from the centuries of enslavement across the Red Sea and across the wilderness to the point of the promised land. And Jesus' coming exodus would provide deliverance from something far greater than nationhood or bondage, uh, political bondage but uh, would wash all our sins away. Isn't that great? Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone. Isn't that great? Oh, we can be so laden down. It, it shouts to us that we're more than material, that God has built us with a conscience, and we know right and wrong. And uh, through the blood of the cross and through the forgiveness of Christ that's extended to every one of us, everyone. Because of the blood of Jesus and the deliverance through his cross. Wow. What a topic. What a discussion. His death. You know, we're going to talk about that in all eternity. It was planned from eternity. We shall never get over it. Amazing that he should die for us and deliver us. Number six, Jesus has no equals. Well, the disciples are rubbing the sleep out of their eyes and and uh, coming to, as it were, and as the men were parting him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Well, that's for sure. He got that much right. 
He did. <laughs> wow, what a blessed privilege for him to be there. God appears in the glory cloud. The old writers refer to it that way. The cloud descends. That's, a, that's the presence of God that descended in the tabernacle and descended into the temple later. And the cloud of the glory of God that, if that weren't enough, then that was enough. It weren't a, God speaks, I mean, in real language, in real time. And, and if and this isn't sort of like surreal and were they dreaming? No, if they had their time acts there, the second hand, while this was going, was actually moving. It was real history, real time. It wasn't phony, wasn't pretend, wasn't sort of in their mind. Well, magical mystery tour nonsense. It really happened. Now it's 15 minutes later. Now it's 20 minutes. Oh, they're leaving. No, stay. You know? And, and Peter uh, says, uh, not knowing what he said, the King James puts that so well, and I learned it that way first time, said, and I've done that, not knowing what I said, so I, motor mouth talk here, maybe we'll get it out. No, Lord, let's build three uh, tabernacles, three tents, three dwellings. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's camp out here, bivouac. Let's have it for a while, right? Let's enjoy this. This is great. You see, if you have three, they're like, uh, they all equal. And that's when the Father shows up and speaks and uh, kind of rebukes them. And then the other two are gone. You see, Jesus has no equal. As great as Moses is, he was a sinner, saved. He was a servant. My servant, Moshe, Moses. He was a servant. He was waiting and depending upon the coming death of Jesus for his salvation. You see, the Old Testament looks forward to God in his timing, eternity, ever present, past, and future. All looking at the cross. We look back at the cross. It's the great centerpiece of history. And that's why they're talking about, they're really talking about their own personal salvation accomplished at the cross that was coming. And so Peter, don't be confused. As, as great as Moses was, he was the servant of the Lord. As great as Elijah was, I mean, he stopped the heavens and uh, God stopped through his prayer three and a half years. It didn't rain. Wow, that's a... That's a man you want praying for you if you have a prayer concern. Where's Elijah? I need, you know, I have an ache in my back. Lord, will you pray? This guy knew how to touch the heart of God, and God answered. He's a, he's a servant, a sinner, was redeemed, was waiting for the cross for the accomplishment of his own salvation. So it's like Father saying, Peter, uh-uh. Don't think that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are on the same plane with three equal dwellings. No way. They all disappeared. And it's only Jesus. He is the unique Son of God. He's not one of many. He's one. He's the Son. In Psalm chapter 2, we discover that in the Old Testament and other places, God would often refer to his king, uh, David in that place, as his son. It was a way of, it was a title. He's the eternal son from eternity past. He was, there was never a point in time when he wasn't the Son. That is the second person of the Trinity. The Sonship of Jesus. We see that over and over. And yet more, he's the Chosen One. 
Isaiah, write it down, Isaiah 42.1. You know, Isaiah writes of the chosen one. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The, ultimately, the seed of the woman of Genesis 3.15. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We would see Jesus and only him. He is our shepherd. When we say the Lord is my shepherd. I had a joy of reading that to Dawn this week in the hospital. And we mused on the fact that probably the word my is the most wonderful word in the whole 23rd Psalm. He's, I am his and he is mine. It's only the Lord Jesus. It's not the, it's not the saints. We don't pray to those that died years ago and let's pray to St. Christopher and pray to St. whoever. That's crazy. They're sinners. They're, they're lost. And if they're saved, God saved them. It's only Jesus. We would see him. That's it. And, and it's centered on his subject, his coming death, planned from eternity. He has no equals. And notice the Father's word, listen to him. Listen to him. What can we say about that? To hear Jesus is to hear the voice of God. Isn't that amazing? It's no wonder the world hates the Bible so much. Satan, he'd, he'd destroy it. His first words were an attack against God's word. When he said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? It was an attack against the scriptures. It was an attack against the word of God. Hates the scriptures. Jesus, when he was tempted, what did he say over and over? It is written. It is written. He pulled out the sword and slashed our great adversary. It's the Word of God. So when we hear the Word of God, it's with reverence we approach it. It's to hear the voice of God. The Father endures Him. Hear Him. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Listen. And finally, number seven, Jesus' mountaintop event was all too soon over. It couldn't last. It couldn't last. Even though Peter yearned for the experience of Jesus to continue, it couldn't. There was work to be done. The great work. Work to be done. Great work. Now, have you ever had those times where, and I have, and they seem rare, where the Lord just, you just sense in a special closeness of God in your life. Maybe it's uh, during a time of prayer. Maybe it's a, a time in your life where you just, all, your, your soul almost just overflows and and, and the joy of that, and you're like, oh, I wish this would just stay and stay and stay. I like to just camp out and be here. And then it's gone. It's gone. And I look back at those glory moments or whatever you want to call them, and you go like, wow, what was that? And we go like, you know what it is? And I'll use the word glimpse again. It's a glimpse of what's coming. And it'll never be abated or ended. It'll go on forever and get better. And I mean, it'll be beyond words. And uh, I've sensed that leaving church service. I've sensed that in the middle when I've listened to a, uh, a godly man open the scriptures. And I go like, oh, it sounds like he's coming around the bend. He's going to be done yet. Oh, I wish he wasn't over yet. Oh, I know none of you ever think that way here, but uh, but yes. <laughs> But, you know, like, oh, I wish I could just sit here for hours and listen to God's Word. It just, I've been in revival meetings when I was a kid and saw people get right with the Lord, and, and we kind of floated out of there and go, like, this was like a taste of heaven, a kiss of, of the Lord. And, and then Tuesday comes, right? And 
you know, little kids will say, well, my doggy's there, you know, and I understand we, you know, those kind of things, the Lord knows that, and <clears throat> but no, no, look, heaven is great because Jesus is there, now go see Jesus, you know, we'll be together, if you know the Lord, we'll be together, what, what a reunion that'll be, we've been doing that all week, we had Faithy's family in, and my family, they come and and, uh, and, and all that. My mother's coming tomorrow night for a once-a-year visit for three hours. Look forward to that. <laughs> I do. I do look forward to it. But, you know, it's, heaven is great because Jesus is there. Don't, don't forget. We'll see him in all his glory. And we'll be with him forever. No more separation. No more goodbye. Won't that be good? My kids visited, and my boys, and then on the curb. Bye-bye. We'll see you again, maybe, Lord willing. You know, no more, no more goodbyes. Oh, I can't wait. Don't forget that. Number two. Second lesson, if you know Jesus is Savior, you two one day, <laughs> you're going to radiate. won't need that white stuff on your teeth. You know, they put that stuff on your teeth. You go, wow, look at your teeth are white. How do you do that? I drink a gallon of coffee a day, you know. They radiate. Your eyes radiate. You know, you've got a twinkle in your eye. Your skin, look, you're going to radiate with, the, with a glory that Christ will give you in a glorified body. Man, you're going to look better than ever. You're going to look good. You won't recognize me, and I won't. Wow. That's, that's our future. That's what's coming. Number three. Number three. The spiritual world is right here. Not far away. It's not beyond Jupiter. It's here right now, right now. It's another dimension. It's right now. That's why Jesus could say, Lo, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he gives us a charge of his angels over us, lest we dash our head against the rocks. Psalm 91. Satan misquoted that in the temptation of Jesus. It's right here. It's right now. Don't think of it far away. And that ought to change the way you think about your life and living for the Lord. You wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, but spiritual powers and wickedness and high place. That's right here, that's right now. That's what Paul said at the end of his life. I fought the good fight. There's a fight. There's a battle. It's right here, it's right now. Number four. Number four, listen to Jesus. Is listen to the Word of God. God the Father, listen to him. It is the voice of God. When you open your Bible and you read it, it is the word of God. It is God speaking to us in, in language, in grammar, in syntax. It is God who is the God who has created us as a man who speaks, man who thinks, men and women who can write and communicate. Isn't it great? We're not like the animals. You know, the animals can't pass down to next generations the things in medical science that they've learned. Have you ever noticed that? They can't do that. But God has given us in his likeness the, uh, the ability of language and thought, man the thinker, to be able to pass down to future generations and build upon the things that are beneficial for us and otherwise. Uh, we bear that likeness to God. 
And so listen to him in the Word, the Word of God. Number five and last, and just uh, today, I, I just call upon you to believe upon the Lord Jesus. Maybe you've never been saved. You're still in your sin. You're lost. You're under judgment. Christ died. Receive him as your Savior, and he will save you and forgive all of your sin. All of it. All of it. I know. He did that for me. And it can be for you. If I can help, I'm here to do that. A glimpse of the glory of Jesus. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we thank